podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. For confidence in your financial plan, look for a CFP professional. When your financial advisor earns the CFP certification, it means he or she is trained to provide ethical financial planning across a holistic range of topics, from retirement and investing to taxes and estate planning, all in your best interest. So with a CFP professional, you'll feel confident in your financial plan today and tomorrow. Three letters do make a difference. Visit letsmakeaplan.org to find your CFP professional. Ese último McNugget me toca a mí porque soy la mayor. ¿Y eso qué tiene que ver? Los mayores se respetan. Eso no existe, ¿cierto, mamá? Ya, quédense tranquilas. Aquí hay otra cajita de McNuggets. Respeto, ¿viste? El no hay rivalidad cuando hay McNuggets deal. Hay un deal para cada salida familiar en McDonald's. Compra uno de tus favoritos, como unos McNuggets de 10 piezas, una Big Mac, una Quarter Pounder with Cheese o un filet fish y te llevas otro por un dólar. Por tiempo limitado, precios y participación pueden variar. Válido para un producto de igual o menor valor. Okay, tonight we are joined by journalist and author uh, Simon Hughes, who is a Merseyside correspondent for The Independent. So listen, first up, um, thank you very much, Si, for, uh, for joining us. We know you've, we, you've been with us in the past, and we really appreciate you coming on again tonight. Absolutely, no problem at all. Thank you very much. Um, so yeah, listen, I suppose you have a few things going on at the moment. Um, you've, you've just brought out uh, a new book, On the Brink. I know last time we had you on, you were just after publishing the Ring of Fire book, which obviously was heavily based around uh, Liverpool and, and a few different select characters during the, the period of the club. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about this this new book and, and what it in, involves, because I think it's out, am I right in saying September 7th? or Yeah, September 7th, it's out. Uh, so it's, it's a few weeks away, yeah, but they are, they are taking a few, well, they're taking pre-orders now on Amazon. Um, it's sort of the book, I mean, Liverpool are included in this book and there's quite a, a size you know, chapter in there with uh, uh, going and interviewed Jürgen Klopp talking about the challenges of of managing, uh, dare I say, it, a global brand such as Liverpool um, with all the expectations that go with it. Uh, so there's quite a big passage on on Liverpool and, and Merseyside football in generally uh, in general, should I say? Um, okay. So the idea is it's a bit of a travel log through the northwest. I've read a few books on the northeast, which are. You know, it's got a very strong sense of identity, which is, you know, the northeastern identity is connected to the, the land and the industry and, and uh, you know, the politics as well. And, and football rests inside all those three three elements. So I wanted to do something similar with the northwest because uh, it's, it's obviously the region where I grew up. And I actually started writing about football in non, you know, non-league level. So I travelled around quite a bit covering games um, and then throughout my career go, you know, going into kind of um, the national newspapers started covering a lot of games in the you know across championship league one league two you know conference as well so I just realised there's a big story to tell there about the, the region and its identity and how it identifies itself with football so to cut uh, to cut a, an even longer answer short I suppose it's, it's a bit of a travel log uh, through the region, going to different clubs and seeing how, I suppose, geography 
industry, politics, all shapes, you know, the football clubs uh, welded into the personalities of the people that are meeting. So it's a very modern book. Okay, no, and, and obviously it gives a sense of the different local feelings towards football and, and the passions for their clubs and stuff like that as well. Um, you, you touched on something for me there, and it was actually a question I was going to ask. How did you get into journalism and, and what was it that spurred you on into to what you're doing now? Because a lot of people just know a Twitter profile. Uh, you know, journalism has, has changed, you know, there's no doubt about that in, in the last kind of 10, 15 years from when I, I started. I mean, I, I I started, I suppose, the traditional way, really going through uh, my local paper, The Crosby Herald, which is, in, you know, based in Liverpool. Um, I was, I actually used to go and watch Marine Football Club play, they play in the, the, the Northern Premier League, and... Um, you know, the, the, the Herald being owned by Trinity Mirror, which owns the Liverpool Echo, was you know always short-staffed, and that the guy who covered the, the like the Crosby Sports couldn't always go to to the game. So you know, I was quite interested as a 15, 16 year old in in this, and you know didn't have much ability in any other field whatsoever. So I just <laughs> thought I'll have a go at this, and one thing led to another, and then within a couple of years, I was kind of covering the whole, you know, the whole of, well, the whole coverage of Marine in the Crosby Herald, which, you know, isn't a massive operation, I guess, but it's pretty much the same thing as, you know, what what people are doing, you know, if they're covering any any football club, it's the same processes, you know, getting to know people, building relationships, contacts, you know, telling stories, you know, particularly having a close relationship with the manager. So it was the same kind of thing as as as, as I'm doing now. To, to, you know, it's, it's transferable skills. It's 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 there is no great deal of difference in being honest. So I did that for you know kind of God, must be four or five years unpaid to much frustration. Um, and then I got a job working for in general news and in. in the Southport Visitor, um, and I think I mentioned it on Twitter last night. Actually, my my first story in the Southport Visitor was covering a, a UFO sighting, which um, I think <laughs> it might tell you all you need to know about Southport, perhaps. Um, and then, uh, you know, pretty quickly from there, I was quite fortunate that an opportunity came up working for um, Liverpool and Everton's match day programmes. I was kind of flitting between those two projects for a couple of years and then ended up working for Liverpool's match day programme and magazine. And then I started doing match reports for the Telegraph. And then the Independent came along and, and asked me to, to kind of take on their Merseyside coverage, if you like. So... Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's 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 there's a lot there's a lot more to it than that, I guess. But that that's the long and short of it. But I, th- I think now, um, you know that those kind of routes in are probably becoming a bit more scarce because you know local papers are dying. The Crosby Herald, for example, is gone now. You know, four or five years ago, somebody used to say to me, you know, how how do you get in? I would say, well, just try and do what I did. I know a lot of other people did the same thing, but now those opportunities are a bit you know a bit more difficult to come by so um so i feel quite fortunate really that i was able to do that i mean uh, as i said to you just then i think you know i was, I was dealing with at marine that Rowley howard was the the manager at the time and he was uh, the longest serving manager according to world football mm-hmm. and um you know he was an old you know old school manager to say the least and i don't think he particularly enjoyed having a you know a teenage reporter fire and barking questions at him um so that, that was a bit of an eye-opener i mean i kind of uh experienced a lot there you know getting locked in you know the the this sounds a bit kind of um not something untoward going on here but i remember i got locked in the toilets uh by 
he's a system manager once for writing something that he didn't agree with. Oh, and, really? You know, he was shouting. That, that was his hairdryer treatment for you, was it? You it was. <laughs> it was. Yeah. So all, all this stuff, you know, it, it all, it all, uh, it all contributes to kind of. I suppose how I am now, um, yeah. you know. The, I suppose the the journalist or the writer. I mean, I'm not really sure what I am to be honest. A mixture of a couple of things because I think there is a difference. Um, so yeah, I think that's pretty much about it. No, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Um, and in terms of what you're doing at the moment, you're doing a lot of uh, coverage of Mer- as you said, Merseyside. So mm-hmm. it is Everton and Liverpool. You know, yeah. there's been a lot of talk of the money they've spent this summer and, and whether they're going to be a threat to us. Um, personally, I don't think they will be. I think they're going to be just trying to consolidate seventh place again. But from what you've seen of them this preseason, what have you made of of the Blues so far? Yeah, I mean, they've obviously, you know, they got a lot of business done early, you know, four or five, you know, import, well, four important signings, you know, just before the market started to go crazy. Mm. Um, so you could look at it two ways here. You could say, mm. well, Everton have, have spent a lot of money, but, you know, since then people have been spending double the amount of money that Everton have, you know, been uh, been spending, so yeah. it kind of feels like you know. I suppose the glow of, of that that kind of that expenditure is, is perhaps left some Evertonians. But I, I think that you know, I think they have bought well. But I, I don't, even being honest, I don't think that Everton have bought the type of players that's going to propel them into the, the, the Champions League straight away. I mean, they're still you know young players. Jordan Pickford's only played a full season in you know the Premier League. I think he's got the potential to be an excellent goalkeeper. But playing for Sunderland in a team that's resigned for relegation as a goalkeeper and playing you know, for Everton, where the demand is higher, you know it's going to be a, a big change for him. Um, you know, Michael Keane, I think, is a good, you know, a good player, but is he the type of player that's going to, you know, take Everton, you know, above Liverpool, above, you know, the other clubs, Manchester United? I, I'm not really sure that he is. Um, so you know they've also got the the they've also got the the issue of Lukaku leaving, which you know I don't care what anybody says they're going to miss him. You know, of course they are. I've, 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 I've heard um, you know all kinds of stats trotted out. You know about Lukaku not um, contributing you know, in scores, yeah. you know, not contributing in, in big games, and only you know had had he had he taken all his goals out of the Everton team, he'd have, he'd have still finished seventh. Well, you can't really look at it like that in isolation because if, if Lukaku had scored, you know, scored at different times in the game or hadn't scored at certain times, would have ended up as the same result. I'm not sure whether that's the case. Yeah. So, um, so I think that's going to be a, a bit of a blow. But I think Everton, a bit like Liverpool in, in some ways, but at a different stage of development, that if Everton could, you know, just progress. Really, I mean, certainly as you said, like consolidate. Um, I think. The, the fans would be happy with that. They'd obviously like to have a bit of a cup run because last season that didn't happen. Um, and I kind of feel the same way about Liverpool, to be honest. I mean, I know Liverpool, it's all you know either the greatest of times or the worst of times. Mm-hmm. I just think with Liverpool, what they can't afford to let happen is, is to is to as it has has happened say in 2008-2009 or 2013-14. They've had a really promising season, and then the next season just fallen you know completely flat and fallen back three or four steps. I just as long as that doesn't happen, as long as the you know they make some signs of progression, you know they stay in the Champions League, they get the I, I think Klopp could do with winning a trophy. Even being honest, getting back in that that cycle, you know I think that'd be a good season. And then next season again, you know it's just about building blocks. And obviously to do that, you've got to keep your best players. And um, I think if Coutinho was to go, although I don't uh, I don't think he will. Um, I think if he was to go though, I just think it'd set such a negative atmosphere around the club. Um, and I think the manager, no matter how positive he is, will find it hard to rescue that back. 
Yeah, no, and and that's my big worry. I had a we, we were chatting about this uh, recently and saying, you know, thirteen fourteen was such a positive season. You came into that summer just thinking, if only we can add to to what we have to let Coutinho go out the door, regardless of whether he hands in a transfer request or anything else, to let him go out the door this summer just sends the absolute wrong signals to both the players and the fans from a club's perspective. So I think it'd be very very difficult for them to let him go at this point. Mm, yeah, I mean, I. I, I... I've got to be honest, I, I don't, you know, it, it's hard to know who to believe sometimes, you know, I understand the way fans think about journalism, the way, you know, kind of, a lot of journalists are saying, he's not, you know, he's not for sale, he's not going to go, and we've seen this all before and it happens, but I do think this time, you know, Liverpool's determination to keep hold of him will, you know, will will see him stay, I mean, that's not to say he's not going to go at some time in the future, I mean, I suspect... If it was, you know, a fortune teller, I would suspect that he'll say he'll have a great season, you know, be one of the players of the year and then go next summer. Yeah, I mean, exactly. that, that seems to be the process for Liverpool now. But at least if that does happen, they can then, you know, prepare themselves properly for that. I mean, I still, I don't think Coutinho is at the level of, say, Suarez uh, in terms of his, certainly not, well, he's certainly not at that level. You know, I think he's still got some way to go. And I think in playing, you know, in the middle of the midfield for Liverpool this season under Klopp, we'll we'll see him develop into a, you know, really top, you know, uh, undisputed, you know, top international player. I know he's playing for Brazil, but you know, just really one of the the, the kind of the standard. European standard figures, yeah. I guess. Um, and I think it being, I think he he's sensible enough lad to recognise that. I don't think he's the type of person to push for a move. He's not as um, irritable, shall we say, as, as some of the other players, you know, that we've seen leave over the last few years. Yeah. So although I'm sure he'd be tempted by Barcelona, because, you know, who wouldn't be? Um, I think hopefully common sense will relent. I mean, obviously, Coutinho's got a big entourage of people who are, you know, advising, you know, um, you know, certainly approachable to the press and this, that and the other. And I think that, you know, they'd probably be keen for him to go. But I think ultimately... I'd be amazed if Liverpool would let him go. I, I agree with what Jamie Carragher said the other day. I just think that, you know, they'd they, they, they have a, a riot on their hands, really. You know, I just think that they can't afford that to happen, particularly with the frustrations they've had with the incoming transfers. Um, because, I mean, I, I understand why people are people concerned about the, the lack of a bit, you know, the, the inability to get deals over the line, because it is a concern, you know, consistently keeps happening. Um, but that said, I think that the, the squad is stronger than it was last season. I think Salah's a really good signing. Um, I think, you know, there's some players who will improve again. You know, that's what you've got to account for. There are players who, you know, whose levels might lift another 10%, you know, through their experiences of playing together and, and, and getting out, you know, simply getting older. So you can see that happening, but I just feel that Liverpool probably need to get one or two you know, um, key signings in. It's quite clear that obviously Van Dyke is one. I still think that that will happen. Um, I just think that Southampton won't want a player who's worth that amount of money left on the bench because his value will decrease ultimately. You know, this is the, the point where they want to sell. Yeah. Um, so I think that will happen. I think Kate is obviously slightly more problematic because, because Leipzig aren't a club that are used to selling. You spoke about the fact that the new book has a chunk on Jurgen Klopp in it. Is that the sort of most amount of face time you've had with him and the ability to actually sit down and, and properly talk to him? Or Yeah, I mean, usually, I mean, the, the way it usually works... Um, you know, obviously on a on a press conference day, you know, pre match, you'll have your 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 camera 
stuff which you see on everybody sees on Sky, and then Klopp will do a, a separate like kind of sit down with the papers for ten minutes. You know, sometimes fifteen minutes, depending on the occasion, depending on his, you know the mood. You know, he, he's all. I've never really seen him in a downbeat mood, even being honest. There's some occasions where he says rather less, but that you know, we haven't had any instances where, like with previous managers, really, you know, they try and cut communication through. Uh, their frustrations with things that have been written. I know he he doesn't read. He, he claims that he doesn't read the the, the, the national press. So I'm sure he'll be aware of things that are that have that have been written. You know, particularly if it affects him directly. But um, so usually my, my you know my experience with him has been restricted. To, well, not restricted, but like kind of has been that you know pre-match, post-match press conferences, asking questions, you know, occasionally bumping into him in the foyer at Melbourne, but nothing beyond that. So this this was a, a decent opportunity to sit down with him for a, a decent length of time. And, uh, you know, just, just, just you know, as with ever, with, with any, you know, Premier League football manager, you're not, you know, if you interview a, a lower league manager, you're going to get more time. If you interview a Premier League manager, just because of the time pressures, it's yeah. never going to be quite as much. Absolutely. But obviously, you know, Liverpool being Liverpool, are, you know, kind of, I write about them all the time. So there are other things that I can bring into the interview. So, you know, it's it's quite a, a broad, you know, covering broad issues, really. It's, uh, I would say it's probably a time-sensitive, you know, it's, it's not a time-sensitive uh, passage of, of writing. You know, I think it'll just reflect who he is and how he thinks about the world and football and his, his experiences in football and just kind of uh, illustrate what type of a person Liverpool have managing the team. I mean, I, I think he's a far more serious character than, you know, the, the, the caricature and, you know, the, that we see on the TV. I think he's quite, I don't want to say calculated, but quite clever in, um, you know, be, being, you know, seen to be, you know, slightly more easygoing manager. You know, we've seen a lot of stress heads in management who, who, you know, in front of the camera have just kind of, you know, I don't want to name any particular names, but, you know, like, kind of, you know, you know the managers who, who yeah. kind of are constantly hostile towards the media. I just don't think you'd ever have that with Jürgen Klopp. Um, and he's a far more serious character when, when you meet him, you know, thinks very carefully about his, his answers. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, the, the, it's not just, a, you know, the, the passage on Liverpool, it's not just like Jürgen Klopp, there's, there's other issues covered covered within that. So I hope that, uh, you know, fresh information and news lines, I guess, that people might not be aware of. So, yeah, I'm just trying to give you the sell for the book now. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and, that's, and listen, that's that's why we're chatting about it as well. Where would you where would you rate Liverpool's squad compared to their rivals? You know, I can understand the concerns. It's, it's similar to Tottenham, really. I mean... Tottenham struggled last season in the Champions League. You know, they did look tired in the Champions League and the form only seemed to really improve after they were knocked out of it. So, um, you know, Liverpool's squad is a little bit bigger than Tottenham's, actually, and Tottenham haven't improved. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that Man United's squad is, is probably the, the strongest in the league. It's how he uses the squad, you know, and, and whether... whether um, you know, whether Lukaku fires for them as well, which I'm sure he will. I mean, I think United will have a good season this season. Uh, sadly, <laughs> I think City will be stronger. Mm-hmm. People are talking Arsenal up again suddenly. I mean, I just kind of think that the problem with Arsenal is they're only one result away, bad result away at the Emirates at home from a crisis, aren't they? So, yeah. Yeah, um, 
You know, I think that Liverpool will be competitive. It's it's a lot of it's down to luck as well with injuries and how they you know they, they can stay clear of injuries. Obviously, it's been a terrible start. Really, Coutinho, Lallana, Sturridge all out for the first game. So, I I think that they will need to make two you know two signings to make sure that you know that they're really competitive in all competitions this season. Um, but something you said there in terms of thinking that United squad is the strongest in the league, even compared to cities, because I was looking at I was looking at Man City's there today and. Okay, maybe maybe they're a little bit light at centre half, but other than that, there's such strength all over the pitch. Yeah, well, I think with City that the biggest problem last season. I mean, I know obviously Guardiola has been keen to get rid of certain players. You know, players who are past thirty. You know, we've seen the full backs go and one or two midfielders. Um, but I think the biggest problem for City last season was was adjusting to the manager's demands. Really. Um, it's an interesting one, City, because if you look at the Premier League's history, there's never really been a team that's won the league playing possession football. It's always been, you know, counter-attacking football, really. Even when Liverpool nearly won it in 2014 under Rodgers, that season it was a counter-attacking team. It wasn't. Yeah. I mean, obviously we could keep the ball, but you know, with City, it's a lot of it is, you know, about keeping the ball and being really patient. Now, I just think with City, they have to play a little bit quicker. You know, it's a very basic thing, but they have to move the ball a bit quicker to. To, to score goals and open teams up, particularly in away games. Um, and I think that, you know, obviously he's, he's been criticised by the for signing the full-backs, you know, spending so much money on them. But he does rely on, on the full-backs to, 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 you know, to be a creative presence in the team. And he clearly wasn't happy with that last year, which explains why he's got rid of two or three of them. Yeah. And brought, you know, three new faces in for huge amounts of money. I mean, it's obscene, but if, if it gets into the to the style of football that he wants then you know it's a, it's a necessary evil unfortunately and he'll probably see City being right up there um, yeah I mean I think I, I think that I'd be surprised if it wasn't a Manchester club that won it this year I mean you, you'd have, you would envisage Mourinho being you know stronger this season you know he, he's got to grips with the players now you know he, he did the same thing at, at Chelsea when he first went in there uh, sorry, when he went in there the second time, the second season he was just a lot better. Uh, you know, I think their pre-season's been really good. No upsets. He hasn't even been complaining, you know, too much. So, you know, you can always tell when things aren't right because Mourinho's not one to sit quiet on it. So, I think that they're going to be strong. I think City will be strong. And, you know, Liverpool could, you know, if Liverpool avoided injuries and got one or two more signs, I think they'd be right up there. I think on, you know, the first 11 is a really strong 11. And, play the most exciting football in the league but it's just when you chip away at those injuries a lot of it's about the fans as well I mean I've, I've written about this and said about it and it's something that I think that the owners have got to get their heads around a little bit you know about the atmosphere inside the ground particularly when Klopp talks about it so much um, you know like when people the fans are, go, are now probably going to go to the game you know in a, in a slightly more negative mindset because they haven't got the deals done that you know that the club were clearly I don't want to say promising, but clearly, you know, they, they, they were pretty confident of getting. Um, so I think that if, if he can get something done, if he even have to pay over the odds, it's worth doing just to get the fans on side, you know, just to get them thinking, you know, this is Liverpool, we're going to have a go this season. Um, unfortunately, they don't seem to see the benefits of that. You know, I always, you know, use this as an example, but if you think about the atmosphere, Anfield Klopp talks about it a lot. You know, it can change. It can be worth a certain number of points to the team across the season. And unfortunately, you know, um, you know, I don't think there's any coincidence. You know, when you look at January and the, and the, the problems that they had then. 
you know, they weren't able to add to the squad then. You know, the fans were going to the to to Anfield thinking about Coutinho being injured, about Mane not there, and he didn't have any contingencies. So the same thing's happening again, and it concerns me that you know it could it could cost Liverpool. I think, um, but you never know with Liverpool, do you? If Jurgen Klopp can can galvanise the team and start playing exciting football early on, I think you know they, they, they'll be there or thereabouts. I'm, I'm not like totally despondent about this season the way the way some people seem to be. I think anyway. Yeah, nor nor me either. And and you mentioned the fans there and the atmosphere in the ground. I, I was speaking to Jay McKenna from Spirit of Shankly um, on on a, a chat last week and. The big thing for me as well is is the fact that so many fans are just getting into the ground, you know, two minutes before kickoff, two minutes after kickoff, five minutes after kickoff. It's very hard to create an atmosphere. You know, you know yourself, you've been at the big mm. games, be they evening matches or be they, you know, sort of massive games against United or whatever else that kicked off early. Everybody wants to get into the ground 20 minutes, half an hour before kickoff. And what that does is it builds a buzz. It builds that feeling amongst people that, that they're ready, they're up for this. It gets the players going because they're out warming up and the ground's 90% full rather than 20% full. So... I think as much as the signings, you know, you want to see uh, a statement of intent from from the club, I still think we have quite a reasonable squad for the season ahead. And I think there's a big part for the fans because the fan base has become older and grumpier. And let's, let's, let's just have it right, I suppose. You've got the, it would help if there were younger, younger fans, younger scallies who, who generate that anger and, and frustration in the crowd. Absolutely. Um, but they, they, these people have been, unfortunately, marginalised from football. Uh, you know, they can't afford to get into the ground and they can't stand or sit together. So I think that's a problem for Liverpool. And it's a problem for every club. But I think Liverpool, if you were to think creatively about it and be serious about it and really buy into what Jurgen Klopp is trying to create, um, it could it could you know be be a really great thing. But I'm not saying there's any easy answers and there's difficult decisions to make. But ultimately, you know, the fans blame themselves. Sometimes they blame other fans. But I think the club have got to be the ones that lead it. You know, the the, the club have got to lead. The, 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 it's a leadership position when you're the owner of the ownership of Liverpool, and I think they, they they're going to have to make some some serious decisions if they want to get the atmosphere to anywhere near what Klopp wants. What sort what sort of decision you know can be made in that instance? Like we were talking about the safe standing and and the mm. the rail seating, and also maybe you're able to incorporate cheaper tickets for younger fans that allows. The next, you know, rung of 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 as you say, scallies come in who are going to be being boisterous and and passionate. You know, there's, there's fewer and fewer young kids going to the game, but if, if the people standing up in front of you and there's young kids behind you can't see, there's a problem. So yeah. that's where you know a failing of seating, I guess. And I understand you know the, the conversation around rail seating is um as as it's starting to kind of. You know, uh, accelerate. I think, and I mean, I, 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 I'm actually, I'm for it. I think I, I can understand why there's some, you know, the Hillsborough families will be certainly reluctant around it. Perhaps I don't, I don't know if that's a universal opinion, but I think that if you actually look at rail seats and just how safe it is, and if it could possibly lower, you know, lower the price of getting into Anfield to some extent, because I understand there's a discussion to be had about, oh well, the same people moaning about there's no atmosphere in Anfield. But also the ones who were saying, well, we're not spending enough in the transfer market. I mean, my yeah. personal view is that's just 
polarizing you know fans in many ways because not everybody thinks along those lines there are some people who think that way i just think that liverpool if they're talking about like recruitment you've got to recruit better you know it's not about spending more money it's about doing it better and doing it smarter and i don't think the people that they've got at the moment who are doing that that job for liverpool are particularly doing it smart despite the fact that liverpool are saying they've got a world-class sporting director it's just mixed messages you know it's clearly not world class because you know he he's been in that position as a sporting director really for 18 months i think he had a good summer last summer now that everybody knows what his responsibility is i think he's probably finding it a bit harder um so my view is you know that they need to recruit better i know it sounds very simplistic but they must find a solution to that you know I, it, it might sound like you're kind of complaining about it but ultimately it's it's for the owners to come up with a solution you know they're the guardians of the club it doesn't matter what i say it's what they think and the solutions that they come up with so i think that 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 is an issue for liverpool and i think that if they can they can come to some kind of sensible arrangements around rail seating whereby there's younger people you know boys and girls you know who are able to to stand together and just enjoy the game you know it's, it's just as you say there's quite regularly at Anfield now that there are like you don't see many people enjoying it really anymore unless tonight game and everybody's kind of you know it's a massive game it's it's very flat it's 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 not it's not an exciting place to be if they're going to be honest about it they're going to have to have these serious discussions and unfortunately some some people or it's going to with progression to make things better sometimes you know you have to show leadership and, and upset people and I think that 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 is going to be have to happen, you know, at Liverpool for things to improve. Yeah, well, listen, let's hope it does. So, um, so I really, really appreciate the time that you've given us this evening. Uh, yet again, to anybody who's listening, get out there, uh, get on Amazon now, or wait till the seventh of September if you want to buy it in hard copy in in your local bookstore. Uh, on the Brink by Simon Hughes uh, is his new book, and and sure, why not pick up Ring of Fire if you haven't already got it one uh-huh. there, eh? Um, Why not? Uh, so yeah, listen. So I really appreciate it. We we look forward to having you on during the season as well because I know you said you'll you'll do a bit of stuff with us throughout the throughout the season. Yeah. So we look forward to that. Um, and yeah, listen. Thanks a million, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, nice one. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. Bye Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. People say treat yourself like you need a reason. But McDonald's treats are perfect for every day. Like bold McCafe iced coffee. Get any size for $1.69. Or pick up any size sweet tea for a dollar. The largest served in an insulated cup that keeps your tea cold. Feeling a little extra something-something? Try the classic bakery sweets like an apple fritter. With so many ways to treat yourself, you don't need an excuse. Just come back tomorrow. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Sports Social Podcast Network.